Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. I am uh, very excited about the series we've been in. It's, it's really just a, a careful study of the book of Ephesians. And I hope some of you have jumped into the book of Ephesians and, and read through it. It's, it's only six chapters, so it, you could read it every single week and um, and, and really not ever get to the bottom of all the depth of meaning that's in that book. It's such an awesome book for, for living, for just knowing how to live your life in Christ. And uh, we, we have been looking at it uh, a little differently. We've been looking at it through the message of, of unity that, that's in that book. There's so much about unity. And um, Psalm 133, one says, how good and pleasant it is when the people live together in unity. How many would like a little more unity in their life, in their home, with their spouse, their kids, with their brothers and sisters in Christ? God sees that that is good and pleasant. You know, one of the things about unity um, that I think is so interesting, it's, it's something Jesus prayed for, and, and, it, and what he prayed for hasn't come to pass yet. It's often called the, the, the one unanswered prayer of Jesus. It will be answered. You know, don't, don't, don't be worried. It's going to be answered. But in John 17, 20, 21, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. Speaking of the believers, his disciples, his followers, he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as I, or just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. That's in them, right? In, in God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three parts. May they also be in us, he said, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. For those of you that love to take notes and make outlines, this is where we are at so far. We, we started with the beginning of unity. And if our vertical relationships with, with Christ, if our vertical relationship with Christ is right, then the horizontal relationships that we have here on earth will be right. That's the starting point. That's the foundation for unity within any of our relationships. Be it our brothers and sisters in Christ, our spouses, or our children, it all begins with our personal unity with Jesus. So what does it mean to be in Christ? That's the, the, the two weeks ago we had that message, and it, it's an important one. It says what it means to be in Christ. The phrase in Christ appears 36 times in the book of Ephesians alone, and over 160 within Paul's letters to the churches. To be in Christ is to remain in an active relationship with Jesus. And this has probably thus far for me been just so mind-blowing, how many different scriptures that I've read through the years and, and just read over that phrase in Christ and never really stopped and contemplated what that meant. And, and, and really, really what it is, it is conditioned to promise every single time just about. When the, when the word of God says, in Christ, and we'll get into that a little later, but every time you read that, think about what that means to be in Christ, to remain in him. It's the starting point for all of our unity. It means to be in an active relationship with Jesus. You know, God wants more than your religion. He wants, your rela he wants a relationship with you, you know? As John said in John 15, or Jesus said in John 15, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. 
To be in and remain in Christ is to be in unity with him. It's when our life lines up with who he is. It's the very nature, his very nature and very character. It's our life lining up with his word. And last week, we got into, okay, so you're in Christ when you accept him as your savior. What, what are some of the benefits of being in Christ? And uh, the first one we talked about was being adopted. We are adopted. We are adopted. We have been grafted into the vine of Jesus Christ. We have full access to him as sons and daughters. We are joint heirs with Christ, and his promises are yes and amen to all of those who believe and become children of God, those that are in him. When we are in him, we have peace. We have the peace of knowing that we have a perfect father in heaven who loves us with perfect love. And when you understand what Christ has done for you just to make a way for us to be unified with him, it will build a foundation for unity in our earthly relationships. So I, being adopted, what, what a huge thing. We talked about that last week. So this week, the new stuff, today, I wanna, I wanna start by uh, uh, giving you this next benefit by telling you a story. And um, there was an orphaned boy that was living with his grandmother and their house caught on fire. The grandmother, trying to get upstairs to rescue the boy who was crying out for help, she perished in the flames. The boy's cries for help were finally answered by a man who climbed a cast iron drain pipe and came back down with the boy hanging tightly to his neck. Several weeks later, a public hearing was held to determine who would receive custody of the child. A farmer stepped forward, a teacher did, and, and one of the town's wealthiest citizens. They all came and they gave reasons in the courtroom of why they felt they should be chosen to give the boy a home. But as they talked, the lad's eyes remained focused on the floor. But then a stranger walked to the front and slowly took his hands from out of his pockets. And he, was, he revealed severe scarring on them. And the crowd gasped as the boy cried out in recognition. And with a leap, he ran to the man and threw his arms around the man's neck, holding on for dear life. This was the man who had saved his life. His hands had been burned severely while he was climbing up the scalding hot drain pipe. One by one, the other men stepped back and silently walked away, leaving the boy and his rescuer alone. Why? Because those marred hands, those scars on his hands, they settled the issue completely. And if you didn't connect the dots already, the nail-pierced, scarred hands and feet of Jesus should leave no doubt for who has paid for you. To who has paid for you. Our verse today, and really just... The first half of the verse is Ephesians 1, 7a. It says, in him, we're moving along in Ephesians here, in him, it's a benefit of being in Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood. We have been redeemed, church. We have been redeemed. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've been redeemed, brother, sister. The word redeemed means to have been paid for. 
It carries with it the idea of payment being made in order to liberate one from oppression, from enslavement, or other type of binding obligation. It's deliverance brought about by payment of a ransom. It means to release from captivity. In our Christian walks, redemption refers to the innocent blood of Jesus being shed as payment to buy us out of the slave market of sin. And because the price of his blood was so great, that payment is a one-time payment. It's good for all time. Yeah, it is. You can praise the Lord for that. That's all right. As most of you know, one of the biggest evils in the world has and continues to be slavery. And slavery in our country is alive and well, by the way. It just looks differently from what you may initially picture when you think of the word slavery. Sex trafficking is the new slavery that isn't really new at all. It's big business and the hundreds of billions of dollars that are produced every year through individuals purchasing other individuals and enslaving them sexually it's mind-blowing. They're demonic transactions. And it proves how much evil there really is in the world. But there are a growing number of people, people groups and churches that have gotten involved in purchasing individuals out of their sexual enslavement, paying the price for their freedom, literally going and buying them and then letting them free paying the price for their freedom. That's a picture of those victims being redeemed. And although most of us are not enslaved in the same way, we were enslaved to sin and the penalty of that sin, which is death. But understand, the precious blood of Jesus ransomed us to freedom. We have been redeemed by his blood. He has absolutely, completely redeemed us. And I want to talk about today three ways in which he's redeemed us. A, he's redeemed our past. Sin always takes a toll on us. How many know that to be true? And you may be someone who has lived a life of sin in the past, or maybe you're someone who, has, who, who was so abused and so mistreated as others sinned against you, but either way, sin can take a toll on us, whether it's sin we committed or sin committed against us. And many of you have heard the quote that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's true. And those of you who have been down those roads where sin has had such a hold on you that it nearly destroyed your entire life, you know that this quote is absolutely true. But even though your past is full of sins against others, sins against yourself, and sins against God, it doesn't change the fact that your sins your transgressions can be wiped away completely because of Christ's redeeming work on the cross. The benefit of being in him, of having an active, functioning, personal relationship with him is that you are redeemed. Your past has been redeemed. And for some of you, you might think, oh, I never was that bad a guy or I wasn't that bad a girl. How many know that no matter what sin you've committed, sin is sin and it will keep you out of heaven in the end? There are some turkeys out there who probably got a little more involved in sin than others. 
We all have different kinds of sin, too. But no matter what you've done, I just want you to think about that a second. No matter what you've done to others, to yourself, to God, if you're in him, you're redeemed. I mean, I think about the thoughts that go through my head. Does anybody else have thoughts go through their head that aren't so nice? Am I the only one? And if we sit there and entertain those thoughts, at some point it does become sin. But the little manipulative things we do, if I say this a certain way or if I leave this part of the truth out, I can get this person to act this way. The gossip we share. The lies. The pride. The treating others as dirt. We've all sinned. All of us. I like what Psalms 103.12 says. As far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from us. You have been redeemed. And by the way, as far as the east is from the west, that's infinity. Everything you've ever said or done, evil, the evil thoughts you've entertained, all of it, they're all removed. Your slate is clean. Those things are thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. That's the redemption that Jesus has for those who are in him. You have been redeemed, redeemed by and through the blood of the sacrificial lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says that those who have been forgiven much, love much. And when you are in Christ, from head to toe, you are free of the guilty stain of sin. Being in Christ carries the benefit of total redemption from your past mistakes, your past sins, all of them. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. I don't even have to remember that stuff if I don't want to, because he doesn't remember it. Maybe that's a good thing to tell the devil sometime when he keeps reminding you of your past. You can just say, you know what? God's forgot it, so who are you to remember it? And let me point this truth out as well. We have all fallen short of God's standard. We have all sinned. But as I alluded to a minute ago, sometimes the toll that sin takes on us is in the form of somebody else's sin hurting us. Whatever has been done to you, whatever abuse you've endured at the hands of an abuser, be it mental, physical, sexual, verbal, emotional, whatever abuse you're talking about, Christ has not only redeemed you from your enslavement to sin, but your enslavement to the effects of what someone else's sins have brought upon you. For many who are hearing this today, I would say it's more difficult to believe that you can be redeemed from the results of somebody else's sins than it is for you to believe that you can be redeemed from your own sins. The tangible hurt and the pain of what others have done the negative, hurtful words that have been spoken over you, the abandonment, the backstabbing, the undermining, the abuse, all of these things can be difficult to find redeemable if those that committed these sins against you don't 
somehow get what's coming to them, right? If they don't suffer, at least somehow pay for what they've done. But look at that verse again, Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It says our transgressions, the transgressions that we own. And sometimes we own the transgressions of others and what they've done to us. We hold on to those things as if they were ours to hold on to. And often we hold on, we hold on until uh, we become paralyzed, even enslaved by the effects of the sins that others have on us. We've been redeemed through the blood, and part of that redemption is healing body, soul, and spirit. You've been redeemed, even from what others have done to you. Can I say something kind of strong? Are you listening this morning? In some cases, we hold on to offenses and what others have done to us, and we own them, even though they're not our transgressions, they're theirs, but we hold on to them and we let them affect us. Sometimes we do that because those offenses and abuses actually become useful to us. We can even begin to use them as excuses for why we're not gonna move forward in, God, in all that God wants us to do. That's, that's tough, I, I know. I don't have to do what God's telling me to do because of what's been done to me. That's what I'm saying. God says forgive, I don't have to forgive. Do you know what he did to me? Do you know what she did to me? Do you know what that person did to me? I don't have to do that. That, that, that part of God's word isn't for me because of, I'm a victim of that. No, it's hard. But your past, everything you've done, everything that's been done to you, it has been fully paid for. You have been ransomed out of the slavery that those sins have created. If you are in him, your past is redeemed, church. It's redeemed. He's redeemed our present. The second way we've been redeemed. I touched on this last week a bit. Although we are in him, that old sinful nature within us tries to continually pull us back into those things that are so easily, that so easily ensnare and enslave us. Not to mention that we are constantly the target of Satan's plans to kill and destroy. The result is we miss the mark sometimes. How many know we sin sometimes? Even now, even after we've accepted Christ, even after we've started this relationship with him, we're, we're walking in him, we're in him, we're solidly in him, but we mess up from time to time. Anybody ever mess up? We don't live in that sin by wallowing in it, remaining in it. That would be the equivalent of detaching ourselves from the true vine of Jesus Christ and trying to draw life from another source, which is unlike the one who remains in Christ, right? Who's in him. And thank the Lord for 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was written to believers, those that were already in Christ. So how awesome is it that Jesus knew we would struggle to stay in him? All the time, 
And so the provision was made that we could be cleansed and redeemed of our present sins through confession. Turn to your neighbor and say, I got something to confess. <laughs> Some of you aren't going to do that, are you? As a young Catholic, I uh, used to go to confession, and the priest was behind a screen, and I would kneel down and begin to share all the sins that I had committed since my last confession. And he would then instruct me to pray certain prayers that I had memorized, and my sins would be forgiven then, right? Now, I I, got to tell you, I know that the priest can't forgive me of my sins. That's for Jesus to do. And I can go to him whenever I want, Jesus. But the Catholics are on to something when it comes to confessing. That's the Catholic's calling. (laughs) It always felt, for me anyway, it always felt amazing to confess those things to others, those sins to others, and, and, and to the priest. It felt good. I felt clean. I felt liberated, to be transparent and honest about my thoughts and my actions that were sinful. It, it really was liberating. And I, why, why do you think talking to private or privately with counselors can bring so much healing? In part, it's because you eventually open up and identify and even confess some of your own issues. There's something about confession that's really good. Jared talked about this scripture earlier. Because Tuesday night, we're going to pray for some people. James 5, 14 through 16 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. (laughs) We love that part, don't we? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. And I, you know, the, the point is we don't talk about that part very much. In fact, not picking on Pastor Jared, but he didn't say that part today because we don't do that very much. We focus on the faith part of the verse, the act of faith that it takes to call for the elders and the, and the faith of those offering up the prayer and how the results will be healing. We focus on all that, but we've missed that part that says confess your sins to one another. Why am I bringing that up? Because it's important in the process of staying in him. It's important in the process of him redeeming our presence and us walking purely before the Lord. I mean, I understand that we confess our sins to the Lord and he is faithful to forgive us and redeem us from them, but confessing sins to Jesus is relatively easy, isn't it? I mean, it's not like you're telling him something he doesn't already know. Okay, I gotta tell you something, God, you're not gonna like this. Something I was doing, I, I gotta tell you. He already knows! It's not that tough to confess them to Jesus. And coming to Christ 
in humility, as you confess those things, it's, it's really about acknowledging those sins. I mean, God, I acknowledge that that was sin. It's about that. And letting Jesus know that you know it was wrong and outside of his character, nature, and against his word for you to be that way, that's important. It's absolutely something we need to be doing on a regular basis. But don't forget the power of confessing to one another. That's a huge part of remaining in him. And we must remain in him to receive the benefit of redemption, even his redeeming of the presence our day-to-day lives, as we mess up, as we falter, as we stumble in our walks. What keeps us from confessing to one another? Pride. We don't want somebody to think that we were bad. You know, one of the marked things that seems to always happen when revival, when the spirit of revival is poured out, is people start just confessing sins. It's interesting. I wonder if the revival comes because they were confessing sins or, or if they're confessing sins because the revival came. Chicken or egg thing, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But I know this, Jesus Christ has not only redeemed our past, he's redeemed our present. And I'm so thankful that I don't have to be a perfectionist in my faith. I don't have to be perfect in order to be redeemed. All you melancholy detail people out there, give yourself a little bit of a break. Can we do that? Give yourself a break. You mess up, get it under the blood as fast as you can. You say something you shouldn't have said, confess that sin to somebody, even the person you said it to. Say, you know what, I just said that, that was sin, that was wrong. I apologize. You can walk in that redemption, and it's fun. He's also redeemed our future. In 2009, you probably remember that U.S. Airways Flight 1549 en route from New York City's LaGuardia Airport to Charlotte, North Carolina was struck by a flock of birds just after takeoff, which were sucked into its engines, causing the plane to lose all power. To avoid crashing, pilots Chelsea Sully, Sullenberger, and Jeffrey Skiles were left to literally glide the plane to a belly landing on the Hudson River just off the coastline of midtown Manhattan. Because of their cool heads, quick thinking, and incomparable skill, not one life was lost. All were rescued before the aircraft, already filling with water, sank to the bottom of the just above freezing Hudson River. And who could possibly forget that iconic scene of those 140 those 155 souls on board who climbed out of the fuselage of that plane into the frigid cold of a New York winter and onto the wings of the plane to await rescue. There was really no time to consider grabbing personal items like handbags or luggage, briefcases or cell phones or even coats and hats. All had to be left behind in in the mad dash to exit before the plane would sink. Yet somehow many of those personal items have been returned to their rightful owners, fully cleaned up and restored as if they had never been lost in the first place. 
ABC News reported that after the accident, U.S. Airways called Global BMS, a Texas-based company that specializes in disaster recoveries. And when the jet was hauled up out of the Hudson and placed on a barge for inspection by accident investigators, Global official Mark Rocco was there walking the cabin to tag and remove personal items to return them. He said this, it looked like it had been, it, everything was in a dirty car wash, it had been in a dirty car wash. wash. A lot of the overhead bins were still closed. A lot of things were still stored under the seats. I saw a wallet on the floor and wondered why hadn't it floated out of the plane. Everything was soaked and smelled of jet fuel, but every item the global workers found was tagged with a unique tracking number, bagged and placed on a refrigerated truck bound for a Texas warehouse. It was, they, were, they froze them. They freeze-dried them. Freezing them puts, them into, puts things into a suspended animation kind of state. So back in Texas, they began defrosting, cleaning, and restoring everything it could, they, that they could, including everything inside carry-ons and suitcases and figuring out who owned what. While many items couldn't be fully restored, many of the computer hard drives, cell phones, electronic stuff, things like that weren't, weren't restorable. But most items were meticulously spit-shined, dry-cleaned, reconstructed, and refurbished to at or near original condition. You have to really admire the commitment and perseverance of U.S. Airways global disaster teams, determination to restore, renew, and return to their owners every piece possible of their lost possessions. And there was things like diamond rings that, that, that husbands had given wives, and there was, there was uh, all sorts of things. If you go through the list, there's like 30,000 items that were recovered. It's crazy. You have to admire that commitment. It's impressive, to say the least. However, there is a day coming when one who is far more committed, far more determined, and far more capable will restore and he'll renew and he'll redeem all things. All things. If you are in Christ, amen. If you are in Christ, you are living in this sick, sin-sick world as one of God's redeemed. And sometimes we probably look like we've gone through a dirty car wash. But church, not only has he redeemed our past and our present, he has redeemed our future. We may feel the effects of sin and all of the destruction it causes while we're still living on this earth, but on that day, we will no longer be subject to any of sin's destructiveness. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. There's some things I don't want to remember. Revelations 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. There is a redemption coming, like we can't even get our minds wrapped around, church. 
I like what 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ, there it is again, will rise first. I've said this many times in the church. I've said this many times out at, at the cemetery. i got to go over here and get a Kleenex. But there's a reason why people on their back facing the eastern sky. It's scriptural, and every cemetery does it. They have their east. They know. You ask the, you ask the, cemetery, the, the funeral directors, they know which way is east. You ask the, the people that dig the graves, they know which way is east. Because in Christian burial, that's the way we bury them, on their back, looking to the eastern sky. Because the Bible says that Jesus will come um, like, like, like the lightning goes from the east to the west. He's coming from the eastern sky. And we lay them there in anticipation for that day when he comes back, the trumpet sounds, he comes back, and their body will rise right up out of that grave if they were in Christ. It, it sounds like science fiction, but it's not. It's the word of God. It's our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope. And the dead in Christ, there's the condition of the promise, right? Those that were truly in Christ, who were connected to the vine, who remained in the vine, they'll rise first. That's the fullness of his redemption coming to pass for our benefit. For those that are in Christ, there will be nothing but joy, unspeakable joy. The fullness of his redemption on that day is really, again, like I said, it's beyond our, hum our human comprehension. All will be redeemed. I've often thought, why in the world, because I, I know we're, we're, the dead in Christ rise first, and then in the twinkling of a guy, we're caught up together with those in the, in the air, the, the rapture is what we talk about, and then we're transformed just like that, we're given new bodies. And I've often thought, maybe, maybe you guys don't think this way, but I thought, why doesn't he just give us a new body? Why does, like the people who died in, in Christ, why does he have to raise them out of the grave and then give them a new body? Why does their body have to be transformed like, a, like, which is similar to, if you, if you look it up, the process of the metamorphosis. That's the, really the word there. Why, why, not just, why not just give them a brand new body and say, okay, there you go? Because we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? We know where, when we die, we go, our, our, our soul and our spirit go to heaven. We're there, but our body's here. So why raise that body up? Not, why not just come back with Jesus, your soul and spirit, and then just be given a new body? Because of redemption. Because Christ will redeem all things. He's redeemed our future. And even, how many have ever prayed for somebody like crazy and they passed away anyway? Anybody in here or is it just me? We all have, right? That day when that body is raised up out of the grave, guess whose prayer is answered on that day? Everything will be redeemed, paid for. The fact of the matter is he's already done it. We're just waiting for the fullness of it. He's redeemed our past, he's redeemed our present, and he's redeemed our future. 
redemption. He's paid for us. He's ransomed us. And this morning, I want to take some time to reflect. I want to reflect on our redemption, past, present, and future, and what his broken body, his shed blood, the price that he paid for that redemption, your redemption, my redemption, that's a pretty big price. Perfect, innocent blood shed for all of humanity. The weight of the world's sin upon his shoulder. Dying for not just those who would receive him, dying for everybody, so that everybody would have a chance. Can you imagine the filth that he must have felt that day of all of humanity's sin upon him? Communion taken together as one body. That's a statement of unity. It's part of us unified together. It's part of us doing what we need to do to stay unified with Christ. Partaking of the bread and the wine as symbols of his body and blood. Taking it as an act of remembrance, a remembrance of what he has done for us in the past, present, and future. The word of God tells us that we should not take communion unworthily or in a flippant way. We need to make sure that our hearts are pure before him, that we've confessed our sins to him and to others who we may need to confess to or even ask forgiveness from. As you can hear, everyone's taking out their communion, preparing it. But as you do so, I, I, I do want you to reflect. And I have a short little video I just want you to listen, I want you to pray, I want you to listen to God's voice as this plays. And just think about, contemplate what he's done for you.
his marred hands still leave no doubt of who has purchased you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Pray, Lord God, I thank you so much that you gave your only son for us. Jesus, you allowed yourself to be crushed on our behalf. The filth and the weight of the world's sin literally upon your shoulders, crushing you, crushing your body. Lord, our our hearts are overwhelmed with gratitude. Lord, we thank you for that, the blessing that that is. We've been redeemed. We know the price, God. We may not fully understand the weight of that price, but we know what the price was. It was the death of your son. We take this bread, which is symbolic of the broken body of Jesus. We take it together right now. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord, we thank you for your shed blood. Literally the price of redemption. And God, as we take it together today, I pray that we would remember to stay plugged into the true vine of you. To remain in you, to be in Christ. We know, God, you were thinking of us when you shed that blood. When the cat of nine tails literally ripped your flesh, when the crown of thorns punctured your scalp, and the blood flowed, when they nailed you, when they whipped you, when they spit at you, even when they speared you in the side, your blood flowed for us. We take that now, God. We take this cup now. Thanking you, Lord Jesus, for redeeming us through your blood. Take it together. How many are thankful that you're redeemed? Amen. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand? We're going to close this way today.
Stretch your arms out a little bit, lift them up. And would you sing with me today? Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I Jesus. We give you our hearts, we give you our minds, we give you our hands and our feet, God. As we remain in you, Lord, I, I pray we would be woke to the fact that we have been redeemed, past, present, and future. You talk about woke culture. When the church figures out how redeemed they really are, that's woke. Wake us up to that, God. Wake us up to that. Jesus' name. Amen. Well, love on somebody. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.